All right. So now, um, let's see if we can stay focused on the word with all this confetti up here. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through, uh, verses 15 and 16. While you're standing, I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that and just read quickly for you. It's in the version app. Exodus 14, 15, 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Father, we thank you for your word. Let it have weight in our lives. Let it make a difference. Let it change us. Let us challenge us. Let it challenge us today. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to talk about the power of one. I want to talk about the power of one and intertwine this for our graduates um, today and for each of you that join us here. The power of one. You are more powerful than what you think you are. With God in your life, the, there is an incredible amount of potential that we often don't tap into because God sometimes is waiting for us, for us to do the first step. The Bible says that when we draw nigh to God, when we draw close to God, he draws close to us. You take a step he takes a step. So in this particular scripture, we're seeing the story unfold that many of us are familiar with when the Israelites are being led out of Egypt, out of captivity there before the Red Sea. But the big idea that I want to drive home today is that we have to oftentimes take the first step of faith before God reveals the second step. So after their exodus out of Egypt, the Israelites are trapped, indeed, between a rock and a hard place, the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh chose the 600 of his best chariots to go after the people. So it was not just anybody who wants to go, it was the absolute best. The Egyptian army and the Red Sea, there is no way out absolutely no way out. And that is when God issues a counterintuitive command, a counterintuitive command. He tells Moses, tell the people of Israel to go forward. What do you mean go forward, God? Don't you see the ocean or the sea in front of us? Don't you know that there's nowhere to go behind us? The problem is that there was no way forward. And there's an old old saying that says, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Here's one that's more along the same lines. If you, got, if you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, what are you doing? What am I doing to initiate that? What are we doing to initiate that? Most of us spend our times most of us spend our lives waiting for God to split the Red Sea. But could it be, could it be, could I challenge you this morning and say, maybe, just maybe, God is waiting on you and God is waiting on me to act in faith. Maybe God is waiting on you 
this morning. Here's what I know for sure, that if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. You have to take a calculated risk. You have to be willing to make a defining decision. You have to be willing to take a leap of faith when it seems absolutely impossible. And that's all it takes from time to time for God to make a sidewalk, a walkway through the sea. The first step is always the hardest step. The first step is always the hardest step. Why? Because I don't know what the first step is going to give me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to be successful or not. The first step is always the hardest step. But we have to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative. You have to overcome fear by exercising faith. You have to take the first step before God reveals the second step. God said it, but Moses was the one that initiated it. God said it, but Moses was the one that initiated. Can you imagine how the story would have unfolded had Moses not taken a step of faith by stretching out his hand with the staff in his hand? He couldn't have played it off any other way. There was no way for him to say, man, I'm just, I'm just taking it easy here. Um, no, it was an active, bold step of faith for him to say, I believe that God said it. And if he said it, it's going to happen. It may not be happening right now, but if he said it, I'm going to do what he is asking me to do. What, what is he asking you to do? What are you believing for today that has not yet unfolded before your eyes? What are you believing God for that, that is yet to be seen? I, I would challenge you that, that we ought to be people of faith and take a risk in praising God on credit. Amen. He is faithful enough that I can praise him now and he can do it later. I, I'm truly believing that there are, that we can untap into God by praising him, by glorifying him, by acknowledging who he is before he actually does it. So God said it, but Moses initiated it. One man, one person who was willing to be connected to God, one person who was able to believe far beyond what he could see. He was able to see the impossible. He was able to see, we're able to see a miracle because one person, one person was able to do what God asked him to do. Don't ever doubt what God can do through you. Don't ever doubt what God can do through you. God can use you. You can do something extraordinary. Yes, you may have a, a, a bad past. Well, so did Moses. Moses was a murderer. Moses didn't believe God when he called him, but yet God used him in a great and mighty way. It doesn't matter where you've been. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus that walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter where you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you grew 
grew up. No, the Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ. So it does not matter. So I feel that that's important for someone here today. I feel that that's important for someone here today that has put a limit and that has put a wall up and has said, I'll never be able to serve in church. I'll never be able to worship God the way I want to worship him because of what I've been through and what I've got. Well, the devil is a liar and he is the father of all lies. I rise to tell you today that God can work through you despite your past. So let me set the scene. The Israelites are trapped between the Egyptian army, the Red Sea. It seems like a no-win situation. They're either going to die by a sword or they're going to die by drowning. So put yourself in their sandals for a second. Imagine the sound of horses and chariots coming behind you, the entire Egyptian army in its full force coming at you at full throttle. This is fight or flight. This is the defining moment. The Bible says that the people panicked. They didn't understand what was taking place. They asked, Moses, why'd you bring us out here? Didn't, weren't there graves in Egypt where we could have died and been buried? You, die, you brought us to die here in this place. The Bible says that they panicked, but this was a pivotal moment and a crucial moment that when we see when leaders really lead. This is when spiritual leaders, spirit-led leaders stay calm and are able to lead the people through the, the tumultuous situations. This is when spirit-filled leaders step up and they step in. And that's who Moses is. And that's what Moses does in verse 13 of Exodus 14. He says, fear not, stand still, and you will see, you will see the salvation of the Lord. Notice he is speaking in faith. He doesn't know what is going to happen just yet, but he is believing God. He says, which he will show to you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So there's three simple thoughts that I want to leave with you today. The first one is you got to face your fear. Face your fear. If you've got the Egyptian army coming at you full speed, it is, is it really fight or flight? Is it really? But yet Moses says, fear not. Fear not. It's easy for, for someone to hear it. It's easy for someone to speak it. It's easy for someone to say it when they're not in that situation. Unless you've been in a situation like that, it is hard to really be able to relate to that fear not it's easier said than done absolutely but courage is not the absence of fear no fear is a prerequisite the question is this how do you manage your fear in moments like this according to psychologists we're born with only two types of fears one is the fear of failing and the other is the fear of loud noises every other fear is learned which means every other fear can be unlearned. Every other fear can be unlearned. Faith is a process of unlearning fear. How? Because the Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 18 that perfect love casts out all fear. And what do I know from the Bible? That God is love. So if God is love, perfect love, perfect God is able to cast out all fear. If you fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom, and it means to hold God in high esteem, to revere God, and to respect him above all else. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. 
Because the fear of God is the cure for every other fear. Let me push that envelope just a little bit more this morning. For some of us, one of the greatest things that could happen to us is for the thing we fear to actually happen because it will set you free. Because it will set you free. After you've lived it, after you've been through it, you'll say, I I can handle this and I can live a little bit more. Let me add one more thing to the mix of that. We are a community of faith. We dream We pray, we think, we go after God-sized goals. We elevate and we activate each other's faith and it creates a barrier against fear that we can stand together and know that we are in this together. And it doesn't matter what tomorrow holds, that we have a community that is praying for me, that is believing God with me, that is trusting God for what I am asking for. One final thought on that, on facing your, on your fear. All of us want a miracle. We, we trust God for miracles, but we often don't want to be in a situation that would necessi- necessitate a miracle. The, are, are you following me? We don't want to be in a situation that requires a miracle because the situations that require a miracle often require hard times on our lives. Often require us to go through, through stressful situations and through painful situations and through heartache. All of us want a miracle, but we don't want to be in a situation that requires a miracle, but you can't have one without the other. they, They go hand in hand. So here's the good news that when you experience a setback, you do not have to take a step back because God is already preparing your comeback. I'll say that one more time. When you experience a setback, you do not take a step back because God is already preparing your comebacks. What does God say to Moses in Exodus 14, 4? He says, I have planned this in order to display my glory so that people can know and people can see who I am am. All that leads me to believe without reading the rest of the story yet, yet is, is knowing that God is in control of my situation and that when all is said and done, God is going to get the glory out of it. Someone is going to know Jesus. Someone is going to uh, be able to accept him and receive him in their heart because of what you and I have gone through. God is going to put his glory on display one way or the other. The second thing is stand your ground. The New Living Translation says, stand still, as in be still and know that I am God. The NIV says, stand firm, as in having done all to stand, stand firm. The Amplified Version says, take your stand. The GNT Version says, stand your ground, whichever way you look at it. What is the hardest thing to do if there's an Egyptian army that is coming at you full speed? I'll be very honest with you. I'm going to have a lot of trouble standing still. I would have a lot of trouble standing still. I'm not the biggest fan of snakes. There you go, I said it. And they say that if, God forbid, this situation ever happens, but they say if you're ever close to a rattlesnake, the best thing to do is to stand still. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't know if I'm going to survive, guys, because I will not stand still. I'll be rude. Yes. So standing still is difficult for us. In our natural tendency, when someone calls us and tells us bad news, we often, our first response is, 
what can I do? How can I help? Because it is our natural human response to want to help, to want to assist, to want to do something when there is trouble in the area. When there is trouble, when there is something going on, it is hard to stand still. It is hard to just say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stay right here. It is difficult for us to do because we were not born like that. But yet God, God comes and speaks in, in his word and tells the people through Moses, stand still. Hearing the waves crash in the ocean, hearing the thundering Egyptian army coming behind you, stand Still, it's the hardest thing to do. The mind of Moses is spinning 100 miles an hour, I can imagine. Where do we go? What do we do? I wonder if he had a flashback at that moment to the burning bush when he asked the question. He asked God the question. He said, who am I? Do you remember that? It's in Exodus chapter 3. Who am I? And I love the way God answers Moses. Not by answering the question that Moses asked. No, but rather by answering the question that Moses should have asked. He said, God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Who you are right now, Moses, doesn't matter. Who I am is what matters. I will be with you you. I will be with you. For some of us who are asking ourselves, what, what am I doing here in this circumstance? What am I doing in this situation? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I frustrated? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? God is saying, I will be with you. I will be with you. Yes, that's comforting to know that, that, that he will be with us, that if he says it, he is going to do it, that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will stay forever, that I can be confident in this one thing, that as that as Jerusalem is surrounded with mountains, so is God surrounding those that fear him and he protects them. That I have to be confident in this, that he has said it. He said, I will be with you until the very end. Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. That I have to understand that when I go through the waters, he will be with me. And that when I go through the fire, it shall not burn me. I have to understand that I will be with you. So why is that important here today? Because you may be struggling with a sickness on this end and you may be struggling with financial hardship on this end but what is important is not the condition that what is important the focus needs to be I will be with you God is telling you I will be with you whatever your struggle is whatever your situation whatever your failure whatever your setback is God is saying I will be with you whatever your worry whatever you're anxious about God is saying I will be with you I will not leave you I will not forsake you I will hold on to you. I'm grateful for him holding on to me even when I couldn't hold on to him and even when I was when when I was slipping and when I was going in a way that I shouldn't have gone. I'm grateful for a God that said, "No, no, no. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to hold you. I, I'm not going to let you. I'm, your story will not end this way." No, I'm grateful for a God that comes to me in the midnight hour and comes to me when I'm lonely and comes to me when nobody's calling and nobody's and I'm grateful for a God who says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And if you have me, all you have to know is that I'm with you. God assures him of his presence. God assures him of his presence. It's a great picture that we see in Matthew chapter 14. When Peter walks on water, he's walking out of the boat. They had seen Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says that he's coming to them in the third watch of the night. And, and when he's walking 
to them. They say, is it a ghost? He says, no. He says, fear not. It is I. Fear not. It is I. They're in the middle of a storm. All hell is breaking loose. But he says, fear not. It is I. Nothing around them changed. The waves were still crashing. The, the rain was still falling. The storm was still taking place. But Jesus tells his disciples, fear not. It is I. It, is, it seems like an oxymoron for us to, to not feel fear in a situation like that. But Jesus tells them, the, the very fact that I am here with you ought to change something in you and your situation to know that I am with you, to know that I am here with you. Even though the rain is falling, even though the, the waves are crashing, even though the storm is still taking place, the fact that I am here changes everything. You should fear not because I am here. His presence changes everything. So Moses says, stand still. These are the moments when we discover who we are and who God is. In crisis situations, I go back to ground zero. I go back to the foot of the cross. I go back to the empty tomb. I go back to the promises that I can stand on that he who began the good work in me, he is faithful to carry it to completion. He is watching over his word Hallelujah. He's watching over his word to perform it, that he's working all things together for good. He is working all things together for good, that I can go back to the daily spiritual disciplines of my life. Why? Because the only ceiling on our intimacy with God and the impact that it has on the world is the daily disciplines that you and I have. I stay grounded in God's word. I press in and I pray through. I believe God. That's how we stand our ground. Having done all to stand is what Paul said. So what does that mean for you and me? That we have to fight one more round. That we have to fight one more round. Believing that there is nothing that God can do. Through you. That's how we stay the course. So the most underestimated kind of power is staying power is staying power i'm gonna just stay right here i'm gonna trust you god and i'm gonna believe you i'm gonna be confident in who you are i'm going to stand still it's often referred to long obedience in the same direction it's a cumulative effect of faith of hope and of love you have to ground yourself in the word of God, and anchor yourself in his promises. While also embracing the pain and suffering. Because it's through this that we get to learn more of him and we get to cultivate our character. Amen. We get to cultivate our character. And the last thing, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Hold your peace. Hold your peace. There is an ancient tradition that's practiced in Orthodox churches that's called pass the peace. It's actually traced back, traces back to the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're, if you remember, that's where, where Jesus spoke. Very notable words that we still quote today. 
So it, it, it's along the lines of you're offering a gift and realize that you're at odds with someone. You go and you be reconciled. So I was making things right. So you interrupt the pattern of what is taking place. What does that mean? You love your enemies. You love your enemies. Easier said than done, I know. You pray for those who talk about you. You pray for those who persecute you. You bless those who curse you. And when we pass the peace, heaven invades earth. Heaven invades earth. But let me back up one step. If it's really hard to pass the peace if you don't learn how to hold your own peace. It's really hard to pass the peace if you don't hold your own peace. I can't give you something that I don't have. If I'm not happy, I can't give happiness. If I don't have $100, I can't give you $100. I have to be able to possess something to be able to give it. Are you holding your own peace this morning? If not, we're, we're at a perfect opportunity where you can say, God, I take my peace back. In a world that peace is not often spoken of, one third of Americans struggle with anxiety or depression. So in a world that has has a people that have lost their peace, how do we get it back? How do you hold your peace when it seems like the world is spinning off of its axis? How do we hold our peace when the train is going off the tracks? As those of us in this place who follow the Prince of Peace, we stay calm. We are people who rebuke the wind and the waves. We say to the storm, peace be still. We don't take offense. We don't react. No, no. As grace givers and as peacemakers, we shift the atmosphere with our actions, with our gestures. We shift the atmosphere. How do you hold your peace? How do you hold your peace? It's a rhetorical question. One way of doing that is we own our past. If we don't own the past, the past will own us. We own our past because we cannot change the past, but we can certainly learn from it. And then we can bury it six feet deep. And for some of us, there's things that we need to bury. Bury things that are weighing us down, bury things that occurred, burying events that occurred that keep flashing through our minds and we have to put it to rest and say, you know what? That's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. I believe that his blood still has the same power to cleanse and to cover and to redeem and to lift up and to restore. I believe that in his word, I have redemption 
for my loss. So I believe that through his word, I have a future that is bright and I have a future that is hopeful. I believe through his word that, that I can overcome and that I can experience all that God has for me. I can, I can because his word says that I can. I can hold my peace because he is the prince of peace. He is the almighty God. He is the everlasting father. I, I can hold my peace not because of who I am. I can hold my peace because of who he is. I can hold my peace because he paid the price for it. You have to face your fear. You have to stand your ground. You have to hold your peace. And the truth is that there's nothing easy about those three things. But I love what happens next. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. Moses extends his staff. And it is at that moment when the sea divides. Tell the Israelites to go forward. I'm not sure what step of faith you need to take this morning. But I do know this, that that first step is the hardest step. That you have to exercise that initiative and that you have to overcome the fear that is in your life by exercising faith. That first step can be hard. That first step can be hard. The first step is always a hard step. But if you wanted God to do the super, say it one more time you have to do the natural and it's frustrating because oftentimes we tell ourselves this isn't happening this is a waste of time this is a waste of energy we quit too soon and we give up too closely but we can fix our eyes on Jesus this morning we can refocus can you imagine what was going through their minds right before Moses raises his staff. We've talked about it this morning, but can you imagine had they given up? Had Moses said, I don't, it doesn't matter that God said it. I don't believe it. It's kind of crazy for me to just raise this staff and for something incredible to happen. But that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve, that he can do incredible things when we act in faith. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. I have to take a step of faith and I have to believe God. So I do believe that God helps those who help themselves. I do believe that he is willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. But we have to wait and trust on him. The Bible says that Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before he endured the cross. That doesn't make sense. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It doesn't make sense to you and I, but how can the cross be something that could even be associated with joy? He saw you. He saw me. He saw you and he saw me. He endured the cross. 
for the end product and for the final result. Face your fear. We have to stand our ground and we have to hold our peace. It's a challenge that I lay out to you this morning. I want to invite you to close your eyes right where you're at. In this place, if you'd like to make a first-time decision this morning to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never been presented with this opportunity. I would hate for you to leave this place today without doing so. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand with every eye closed, every head bowed. You can raise it in the chat and let us know because we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you this morning. We believe in community. We believe in doing life together. So we're going to pray together. Please repeat after me. Lord, I admit I am a sinner in need of a savior. I believe you are Jesus, the son of God who died for the sins of the world. And I confess you as Lord, savior and king of my life. In Jesus name, amen. Thank you. I want to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you this morning, for you that say, I want to take that first step. I want to take that first step. It's not easy, but I want to take one step at I want to trust God and see what he does. May not be an easy decision. It's not easy to take the first step. But what if that's all that it is requiring for you to be able to tap into what God is wanting to do? I'll say one person, Moses, one person was able to impact millions of lives, literally, because he was able to believe God at his word. What am I talking about? You have a circle of influence that you can make a difference. For some, for some person in this place, the first step may be sharing your testimony with someone who's never heard it and someone who's never heard of the power and transforming love of Jesus Christ. For some, it may be just saying, hey, I, I've seen you struggling. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? And you come to find out that what they're going through is something that you've faced and you're able to help them now. What is that? We were called to make an impact. We were called to make a difference. And I believe God wants to do that in our lives. 
God wants to do that through our lives as well. So I want to pray with you this morning. Close your eyes right there. In just a few moments, I want to open this altar. I want to give you the opportunity to come and say, God, I want to take that first step. I want to take that first step. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that there's no one like you. We thank you, God, that you can do everything but fail. So God, right now, meet us. Meet us where we're at. Let your word find us in the diverse situations and circumstances that we may find ourselves, at the crossroads that we may find ourselves. God, right now that you would make a way where there is no way, God, that we would respond to you in faith, that we would respond to you in faith, that we would rise to the challenge and believe you, believe you for our restoration, believe you for our deliverance, believe you for our healing, believe you for our miracle, believe you for making a way. We believe that you are a way maker. We believe that you are a way maker. We believe that you can do it again. We do believe this morning that you can do it again. So we just thank you right now for being who you are in our lives, for being who you are. We glorify you in this place. In Jesus' name, 